welcome to the Week 12 What We Saw podcast. I am Eric Smith. I am joined by Ryan Heath and Justin Havlock to break down the most important storylines of the week in Week 12. Um, we also had a lot of fun today. Uh, there were a lot of good memes on the NFL, uh, on Twitter, just lots of crazy stuff going on. So we're going to break down a lot of that. If you want some more uh, serious analysis, please check out the What We Saw article on QBList.com. Our team is working as we speak uh, to get every single fantasy relevant player recapped. But um, we're going to get to some of our favorite stuff up top here. Just jump right into it, some of the major storylines. Um, Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Um, you wanted to talk about the Sean Taylor Memorial for the Washington Commanders. So um, how are you doing? And uh, let's kick it off with uh, on a bright note here. Yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you, Eric. And yeah, as you said, we're starting off with, I mean, on a day with a lot of really funny and lighthearted things to talk about. Of course, we're going to start by mentioning the embarrassing memorial that the Washington Commanders unveiled for Sean Taylor. Uh, if you didn't see this, it's worth your time to go check it out. Uh, it is literally just a wire mannequin with a Commander's jersey with the old logo with mismatched branding like the cleats are Adidas soccer cleats. It, it just looks really horrible. It. I just don't really know what else to say about it other than that Dan Snyder and this organization just ca- kind of continue to one up themselves every single week as far as embarrassments go. Uh, and the other thing I have to point out is this was originally reported that it was supposed to be a statue. The uh, Twitter context feature made sure everybody knew that the commanders had originally called it a memorial and not a statue. So (laughs) I I don't know if Dan Snyder is buddies with Elon Musk or what, what's going on with that. Uh, Just get get, getting him to carry water for him on Twitter. But what, whatever the case may be, it it was, it was pretty uh, interesting to just sit back and watch. Yeah, a big like glass display case with like it basically looked like a missing player in the jersey. It was just kind of sad. Like it was uh you wonder how this stuff gets out. I mean, I'm sure there's great people in the Washington organization outside of the owner. Um, I, I don't know if everyone's just mailed it in at this point or what, but it was not an A-plus effort for the Sean Taylor Memorial. And I think this is like the second thing they botched on this. So um, let's give Sean Taylor up to proper respect here. He was an awesome player. Uh, we can do this. So um, let, let's move on here. I'm going to bring Justin in. Justin, uh, we learned that the Los Angeles Rams head coach, uh, he's got a pretty good jaw on him. He can take a shot here. Yeah, I saw Sean McVay entering concussion protocols in typical Rams fashion. It's uh, not feeling so jolly today, uh, Sean Jolly being the player he ran into. So uh, interesting day around the NFL. <laughs> yeah, it was. If you missed this one, uh, he's just standing on the sidelines and his player puts his helmet off, her, puts his helmet on, takes off into the game and just drills Sean McVay in the jaw. So it, it really looked like he was going to miss this game. But uh, yeah, he, he stuck in there, called the plays and, and watched a Rams loss. So. Um, let's get on to, uh, Ryan, uh, Sky Moore, a little bit of an up and down day here. So what do you think about Sky Moore from the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah. So Sky Moore goes out to receive the first punt of the game, immediately muffs it horribly. Ball turns over, uh, the Rams recover. It's like, oh no, like Sky, Sky Moore just had a great week last week. This was going to be his chance to continue being involved in the offense and suddenly muffs the punt. But 
on the very next drive, he had a great catch like on the first play. So, I, I mean, if I were Andy Reid, I would simply play Sky Moore at wide receiver and not at punt returner. It seems like he's pretty good at one of those things and not at the other. Not really sure what the fascination is with having him return punts. Just stick Justin Watson back there and have him fair catch it every time. I, I don't really get the point. Yeah, as a Bengals fan, I saw them go through uh, players that fumbled punts last year, and then they finally put in Trent Taylor, who just fair catches the ball, and we're all more more than happy with that. So yeah, just put someone back there to fair catch it. That's all you need on punt returns. So I'm there with you. Hopefully Moore got on track a little bit today, though. Uh, Mahomes spread the ball out a ton, but uh, he was certainly involved. So uh, we'll see if the Kadarius Tony experiment comes back, but Sky Moore, uh, he's back to life now if you have him on your dynasty leagues. So um, next up, uh, three of the more surprising uh, running backs to lead the position this week were Brian Robinson, who had 18 carries, 105 yards, uh, three targets, two catches, and a touchdown. Uh, Rashad White, uh, filling in for Leonard Fournette, had a big day. Jamichael Hasty came in for an injured Travis Etienne and had a big day. But, um, Justin, you really want to talk about Brian Robinson's hat here, don't you? Yeah, I'm going to have to get in touch with uh, Brian Robinson's hat guy because um, I collect hats myself collection of over 30 uh, hats mostly caps of different sports teams but got some fun ones like an umbrella hat bunch of cowboy hats uh propeller hat as i call it i think you guys call it a beanie but up here a beanie is a winter hat um you guys might know as a toque um so my, my favorite right now in my collection i think would have to be uh my jay's pride cap got a jay's logo all colored rainbow has the Toronto skyline under the brim with the CN Tower, the Sky Dome, all that good stuff. Uh, real gem that I found online a couple of years ago. Well, Brian Robinson has a guy who can get you a big hat, Justin. It's uh, you got it. I mean, I'm sure everyone's seen the picture by now, but uh, this thing is like a football helmet with a baseball hat on top of it. It's it's pretty wild. So uh, if you have one choice on the uh, the big hat, what are you gonna go with here? Yeah, I think if I had a uh, one choice with the big hat, I probably have to go for like a oversized cheese head as a Packers fan. Um, I know cheese heads are already pretty big, but figured after seeing the Brian Robinson hat, why not get an even bigger version? Yeah. Uh, just, yeah. you know, 20 foot cheese head to wear to the game. It's really incredible. Uh, I think the main takeaway on Twitter was that he's a really good friend because he wore that hat in the locker room that his friend designed. It's, it's quite a look. So, um, okay. Some lesser, um, Less fun topics to talk about here. Uh, injuries to Travis Etienne, Michael Carter, and Elijah Mitchell were a few of the big storylines this week. Um, Ryan, give me some of your thoughts here on these backfields, these running backs, and just uh, anything going forward here. Yeah, so I was immediately like in panic mode at 2 p.m. today about Travis Etienne as soon as I saw that he'd been injured. Uh, I put out into the ether of Twitter, does anybody know if it's the same foot that he hurt last year as – as if this is somehow what's as if I'm going to figure out how bad the injury <laughs> is based on that information. Uh, turns out it was the same foot, but luckily it doesn't seem major. Etienne said he should be ready for next week. Uh, as far as Michael Carter, it's sounding like an ankle sprain. We don't really know the severity at this point. That's definitely one to monitor throughout the week. Uh, but in his place, Zonovan Knight did go for 103 total yards, so that's a name to look at on the waiver wire. James Robinson was a healthy inactive. Uh, just ca calling back to some conversations we had on this podcast in the last few weeks. Uh, and then Elijah Mitchell, it sounds like a knee injury with an MCL. 
Jordan Mason was filling in, but we've kind of been here with Jordan Mason before. It seems like he's the special teams back. Tyrion Davis Price could maybe mix in here. He is coming off a high ankle sprain, though. So definitely also keep your ear to the ground as far as the 49ers backfield, because Christian McCaffrey also had a mysterious injury. It seemed like it was keeping him from getting a full workload. Uh, it, it was described as a contraption on his left leg. Uh, so who knows what is going on in this backfield, who will be healthy a week from now. I'm not even going to pontificate on this. Yeah, a contraption. Could it maybe a brace or a, a I mean, well, I, there, there's only so many contraptions, but okay. Well, we'll wait on that news for sure. That would be uh, very important. Um, yeah. So early today before kickoff, I frantically was messaging uh, Ryan from the grocery store, telling him to uh, take out Trevor Simeon from the rankings and put in Nathan Peterman, which is not a, a sentence I thought I would ever text somebody, but um, I did. And it turns out the bears were faking us out, Ryan. And I can't even remember who played now. Trevor Simeon played, right? Like, what happened here with the Bears pregame? Yeah, so at about 12.15 Eastern time this afternoon, uh, the Bears announced that Trevor Simeon had hurt his shoulder or oblique or something in pregame warmups and that therefore Nathan Peterman was going to start. And (laughs) as soon as I saw this, number one, I did did switch them out in the rankings. I, I told Eric I beat him to it. Because uh, I, I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get that edge in the fantasy pros accuracy contest. Get getting Nathan Peterman in there as QB 32 <laughs> instead of Trevor Simeon. I was patting myself on the back for that one, but I I was excited to see the Mike White Nathan Peterman duel. Like th- this would have been a historically significant event. I, like we would have been talking about this in the history books for years and years to come. But no, we, we were just robbed of it. The Bears, 45 minutes later after their own announcement, just rolled Simeon out there. Didn't say anything else about it. So it's like This wasn't like a beat report. This was literally the team announcing Peterman as the starter. <laughs> so who knows what happened, but w- whatever it was, uh, I, I'm pretty upset because I'm losing out on that Fantasy Pros Accuracy Contest clout now. Yeah, it's pretty wild in the PL Plus Discord. We have uh, some Bears fans and some Jets fans that are pretty vocal. And like our chat was just all this 31-10 Jets victory over the Bears with Trevor Simeon and Mike White. Like that was the the theme of the Discord today. I'd chime in with like Bengals Titans at times. And it's just back and forth highlights from this Bears-Jets game. But um, I Ryan, like you said before the show, we got to stop hating on the Jets. They're 7-4. and four, So they got their quarterback position figured out. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Jets are for real. They really are. Yeah. All all it took was to move the worst quarterback in the history in the National Football League to the bench and bring in our savior, Mike White. Uh, Garrett Wilson came alive with two touchdowns. Mike White threw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns. The other touchdown was scored by one Elijah Moore, who we've also talked about on this podcast. Uh, I, I think the most fun part of this was after the game, uh, Elijah Moore was talking to the media and Jets players could be heard yelling ease free and free that man <laughs> during the interview. Uh, it, Elijah Moore was also also gave a few awesome quotes. Uh, he he said that he doesn't weather the storm. He becomes the storm. This is all because <laughs> he had two targets, one of which was a touchdown today, by the way, uh, <laughs> did run only 13 of a 30 possible routes, but 
what, what's important is that the vibes are so much better on Elijah Moore now. Like I, my bags on that I have him on every dynasty team are feeling so much lighter now because he's having fun again. Uh, the New York Jets are having fun again. I and I I don't think Zach Wilson's getting this job back, Eric. Yeah, I mean, we have a new meme. We have the Zach Wilson, Anakin Skywalker meme. Uh, Wilson was on the sidelines with a hood on, uh, very similar to uh, one of the prequels where Anakin Skywalker is looking very evil. So, uh, spoiler alert. So, um, yeah, we have a new meme. It's perfect for Zach Wilson. It's uh, I don't think he's seeing the field anytime soon. I don't know if anyone disagrees with me here, but I'd kind of be surprised to see him play this year unless there's an injury or they completely drop out of contention. Did you just do a spoiler alert for a 40 year old <laughs> movie? Why would you even bother saying that? Oh my God. Uh, I thought I could sneak it through, but <laughs> I guess not. All right. Then uh, a couple of things I wanted to touch on here because I really enjoyed this. Uh, there was some weird stuff going on in Cleveland. I switched over very briefly to this Browns Tampa Bay game. First of all, the Browns beat Tampa Bay, which is kind of wild, but. Um, there was a, a fan video on Twitter of a skunk in the stands in Cleveland. So there was a skunk loose. I believe they deployed a trap at one point and they, they caught the skunk. Um, there were also tire tracks all over the field that I guess someone drove a vehicle on it during the week. I, I assume it was like a vandalism prank sort of thing, or I don't know if just like a, a staff member made a mistake and drove it on the field, but there were tire tracks all over the Browns field. The NFL had to prove it for being a, a safe playing surface. So um, I don't know if anyone wants to add in on this one, but a couple really weird things in Cleveland that I don't think I've ever been, I've seen before during an NFL game. Yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, Tam- sorry, I was going to say, I think the Tampa Bay Bucks may need to sign that uh, skunk to the practice squad as uh <laughs> was one of the few uh, times we saw someone get inside on the Cleveland Browns today. Uh, Mike Evans going two for nine and uh, I think just one catch for Julio Jones, if I'm not mistaken, three catches, yeah. but. Yeah. Yeah. I watched this game and I, I will say that the skunk was probably the most entertaining thing, which, which is weird to say about a one score game that went to overtime, but the, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it, but it, it was just a very kind of bland back and forth. All right. Well, that was our quick breakdown of the news and notes, some pretty fun stuff today. So make sure you check some of these uh, tweets and memes out if you missed them, because it's uh, I think we're going to get some run out of a few of these. So I'm excited. Um, The games we did break down were Bengals against Titans. Uh, We broke down Baltimore and Jacksonville and Tampa Bay and Cleveland. We will get to those in a bit. But um, Justin did a little research. He does a great job for our What We Saw team and also editing and producing these podcasts. Um, Justin, you did a little bit of research here into just deep balls in 2022, uh, the deep passing game, where we're standing so far. Uh, Compared it to last year a little bit. So uh, give me a little bit what you found out. I'm just looking through the stats on deep ball passing this year. Yeah, so this is uh, something I noticed pretty early on in the season. at first, as a Packers fan, I just kind of chalked it up to Aaron Rodgers' struggles this year. And um, figuring on the other side of the ball, it was likely just teams not having to throw much against the Packers because in almost every game this season, we've been playing in a losing game script. So not much point of throwing a deep ball against Green Bay this year. Um, but as the year went on and I started looking at some of the other teams, Monday night games, Thursday night games, um, I started to realize it didn't seem like the deep ball was... Uh, really showing up the way it did last year. So uh, I took a bit of a look on um, PFF and uh, did some research and found out that deep ball attempts have actually dropped from uh, 27 last year to 20 this year, um, average per game. Um, And completions dropped from 10.4 to 7.6. So overall, not a really sharp difference in um, the completion percentage, but what I really found interesting was the drop in actual attempts and completions themselves. 
Um, and then you go through the rest of the numbers and it just becomes really interesting to see what's going on in the NFL this year. Uh, first down conversions are down by almost uh, three first downs on a deep ball. Uh, passing yards are down by over a hundred um, on the deep ball. Um, full drop of uh, 1.0 yards per attempt. Um and then drops in touchdowns and interceptions as well. So it seems like pretty much across the board around the league, everyone seems to be struggling with the deep ball. Not a lot of guys going for it this year compared to last year. Um, but also a lot of guys just not having as much success. And what really stands out to me is that uh, drop from uh, deep ball passing yards of uh, yeah. over 100. Um, I, I know some people are probably thinking, oh, well, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, two of the best deep ball throwers in the league. That's got to contribute. But um, single season drop off of 100 passing yards seems uh, a lot bigger than just those two quarterbacks and maybe some rookies around the league struggling. So uh, I'd be curious yeah. to get your thoughts on um, what you guys think might be going on here. Yeah, I mean, I think we can all kind of from our own perspective think it's just our team swaying the numbers. I mean, I think about the Bengals here and missing Jamar Chase for part of the season and teams playing so deep on cover two and they just have had to learn how to check the ball down. And I mean, I think that's the big story here, Ryan, is, is defense is playing so much cover two. Teams are having to figure out how to check it down because like Justin said, the completion percentage is still the same. So it's more like a volume thing here and it's, it's teams navigating this new NFL, I guess, but it's certainly interesting to see it laid out here. Yeah. That was my like instant thought too, was, Oh, cover two, because that that's kind of the narrative that we talk about a lot when we're trying to figure out why the offenses aren't as explosive as they seem the last few years. Um, and I, I was reminded of an article that Josh Hermsmeyer had a couple months ago on five thirty eight. Uh, th this was only through six weeks, I want to say, but the too high safety rate this year is not actually that much higher than it was last year. Uh, last year, it was about 32.7% of the time defenses were playing these two high safety looks. This year, through six or so weeks, it was about 34%. So and those are big jumps from what we saw uh, like 2020 and previous, but I don't know. I, I feel like just those few extra percentage points of two high safety looks can't completely explain this shift in offensive philosophy, especially from the volume perspective of deep ball attempts. Like you said, I, I don't know if we want to point to certain receivers being injured or I, I don't know that I would say there there's a, been a drop in quarterback quality. Like I, I don't have any real good silver bullet answers here, but I, I mean, yeah. maybe that's a discussion for another day. Yeah. And I don't know, Justin, if you've seen specifically with the Packers, I mean, obviously Devonte Adams leaving has been a huge part of this, but uh, do you get the sense that that is the deep ball situation in green Bay is just that Adams is not there. Or do you think it kind of ripples through the rest of the offense? Like, is it, is it just as simple as Devonte Adams or is there more to just uh, no deep balls for green Bay? Um, I think there's definitely more to it. Devontae Adams obviously is going to hurt any team a ton, uh, even if you have like Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen at quarterback. Um, but Aaron Rodgers himself has taken a real step back this year. Um, his, when you look at his numbers over the last two seasons, winning back-to-back -back MVPs, um, it was a little concerning coming into the year, uh, very unsustainable touchdown percentage. And um, I just think that 
like obviously the passing core is taking a step back without uh, Aaron, uh, Devontae Adams there, but um, Aaron Rodgers just seems to kind of be in that kind of twilight year of quarterback. Uh, honestly, kind of reminding me of uh, Peyton Manning um, in his final year of the NFL, where he was MVP caliber player, uh, scoring touchdowns for days. And then the next year, it was just like one touchdown per interception. Uh, Aaron Rodgers isn't throwing as many interceptions, but he's Aaron Rodgers. We probably wouldn't really expect him to. Um, and he is fumbling the ball a lot. Um, so there are still some turnovers there too. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just as simple as as Brady and Rodgers and Stafford to some extent. These older quarterbacks are just finally hitting the wall that we never thought they were going to hit. And it it doesn't take a whole lot when you're talking about these these locked in quarterbacks that have produced so much for all these years. Uh, well, you know, once, once they take a step back, that can have a big effect on the numbers. So um, I don't know anything else either. Y'all want to add on just kind of deep ball around the NFL this year. I guess I'd also say there's been a misallocation of wide receiver talent in the league starting kind of this year. Uh, like the, the dolphins run the only fun offense in the league right now. Tyree kill went there obviously, but Mahomes is largely doing a lot of this dink and dunk stuff now. Devontae Adams gets banished to Las Vegas, who do not, are not a serious offense. Uh, so that like I, his kind of deep ball talents being wasted there a little bit. Hollywood Brown goes to the Cliff Kingsbury horizontal raid. Like I feel like you can pick out some players here that w- could have been seen as like deep ball savants whose talents are being misused in their new homes, but. I don't know. Like at the same time, you can say, oh, well, AJ Brown got freed from Tennessee. Like there, there's probably examples on both sides of this. So it, yeah, it's it without taking a deeper dive into it. I don't know that I could make like a hard prescription there. Yeah. It'll be interesting to look in at the end of the year. I mean, it's, there's no perfect, perfect defense in the NFL. So teams should be able to get these teams out of too high eventually by running the ball or throwing short. I've watched the Bengals struggle with it all year and it's, um, it's taken a while. They're starting to get there. But yeah, it's it's it should not be a silver bullet here. The teams just have to play cover two. We've been through this before in the NFL. So I'm sure it'll revert back, but it's been a struggle over the first half plus of this year uh, getting the deep ball going. So, all right. Well, thanks for that, Justin. That was good stuff. Uh, maybe we'll check back in on that um, towards the end of the year. Hopefully, hopefully you get a few more Aaron Rodgers deep touchdowns too before this ends. Yeah, Christian Watson's been looking good over the last couple of weeks. So uh, hopefully the Packers can get somewhat of a uh, deep ball game going rest of the way. Yeah. And I'm sure deep passes is something that is a bit small sample size dependent. So it does not take too many hot weeks maybe for this to change. So, all right. Um, let's get into the games here. Um, Ryan, uh, start it off for us. Yeah. So starting off with the game that you watched, Eric, the Cincinnati Bengals defeated the Titans 20 to 16. Uh, going into this, I was very excited for Joe Burrow. I didn't play any DFS this week. I decided to spend time with my family over Thanksgiving instead, <laughs> instead of making lineups. Uh, but I'm glad that I chose to do that because I, I probably would have had a lot of Joe Burrow and it would not have worked out great for me. So kind of what happened with Joe Burrow here? Why was this not like the amazing pass funnel defense ten- against the Titans performance that we might have been expecting? Yeah, it, it wasn't Burrow's best day. Uh, he had some misfires. There were a couple miscommunications here or there. He played well. Like, it was definitely one of those game manager games where, you know, it's a it's a tough road game and he pulled out the win. So the Bengals won 20-16. Very similar feel to their 
playoff matchup last year, uh, except the offensive line was actually really good. So I, I think this was more of an issue of no Jamar Chase again. Um, you know, Burrow just checking it down, playing it safe, uh, lots of coverage going T. Higgins' way. So he may, he missed a few throws, but I, I think the Titans get a little miscast as a bad secondary when it's really, like you said, just pass funnel because their run defense is so good. And the Bengals were able to run a little bit, so it was a, a relatively balanced offense. So I will also say the Bengals had several drives that stalled early on. Um, I, I think like the first three punts of the game, they had a penalty on it that backed them up inside their own 10. And, you know, on the road inside your own 10, it's understandable to have some bad drives. So that was kind of a problem. They had two or three offensive pass interference penalties. They had a holding penalty on like a second one. So it kind of just kept adding up. It, it was a good day overall for the offense because the offensive line looked good. But yeah, definitely not fireworks here out of Joe Burrow. Yeah, just 270 passing yards and a single touchdown for Burrow. Uh, kind of despite the miscues and the pedestrian overall day in the passing game, there are a few players that jump out to me here in the box score. Uh, T- sounds like T. Higgins, regardless, managed to figure it out on nine targets. Uh, he went seven catches for 114 yards and a touchdown. W- was this just a normal T Higgins type of performance or was there more to this than I'm seeing in the box score? Yeah, it it started out pretty bad. Actually T Higgins had kind of like a borderline bad first half. Um, He had a reception called back on offensive pass interference on a a pick play where Chris Evans, the running back got called for it. And then Higgins committed his own offensive pass interference on a pass to Hayden Hurst that got wiped out later in the first half. And then Higgins dropped the ball on probably one of Burrow's best passes of the day. That would have been an uh, easy catch. Uh, pretty solid gain, probably 20 to 30 yards. So he had a bad first half, and then he came alive in the second half. Um, Burrow started hitting them kind of in the sidelines, tight window throws. They were clearly uh, putting a lot of their coverage towards T. Higgins. So um, they started hitting him on the sideline, and then he started running go balls down the sideline and winning jump balls. And he had a really good touchdown catch, kind of one of those where it looked like pass interference, but he pulled off at the last second and out jumped the player. Um, really nice touchdown. And then had a spectacular catch down the sideline that wasn't a touchdown later. So uh, second half, I mean, made up for any struggles in the first half. He's he's awesome. He has some drops here or there, but uh, no, nothing you can complain about here. And, and really, Jamar Chase coming back just helps. It helps take the top off the offense. So um, just, yeah, we should be just as high on T. Higgins as we always were. Yeah, Chase entered the weekend as doubtful, I believe. So maybe there's a good chance he suits up next week. Uh, Other than that, I also couldn't help but notice we got nine targets for Hayden Hurst, uh, who caught six of them for 57 yards. Uh, You mentioned that he had that catch called back on an OPI by Higgins, but anything else jump out to you? Or or is this just kind of normal Hayden Hurst stuff of... He's running all the routes and he's a usable low end tight end one. Yeah, that's mostly it. I, I think he had a better first half than second half and then disappeared a little bit when Higgins caught fire. So they definitely trust him and he fights hard after the catch and breaks lots of tackles. And I, he seems like an easier outlet than Tyler Boyd has been. So he's just, he's usually there for Burrow when he needs him. So it, it's just hard. I mean, he's always going to be the second or third option in the passing game. And then when Chase gets back, it, it drops down even more. So I, I, you can feel safe about starting him in PPR leagues. I, I thought he'd score more touchdowns than this though. And we, we haven't really seen the red zone work from Hurst yet. So solid, you know, tight end streamer type. You could keep him on your roster and be perfectly fine, but not much upside here. 
Yeah, speaking of Tyler Boyd, uh, I'm going to take a little bit of a victory lap on you here, Eric, because I remember when Chase went down, you you had a, pr- a pretty big take that Boyd was going to be usable. Uh, he, yeah. He's kind of disappeared and did disappear today. Four targets, caught just two of them for 16 yards. Uh, what What is the deal here? Is he just not a part of the offense? Is he being covered well? What's going on? Yeah, it's tough. Um, last week, uh, I I thought it was the pass rush. I thought that's why Boyd was disappearing as they were getting this pressure up the middle on Burrow. Passes were getting batted down. He couldn't complete stuff over the middle. But like I said, the Bengals offensive line was really good today and Boyd, two catches, 16 yards, was pretty much non-existent. So uh, first half, he seemed to have a miscommunication with Burrow on a target, which doesn't happen much. It went incomplete. Um, and then he slipped on an outbreaker in the second half on third and 10 for an incomplete. They were both kind of timing routes outside. And as soon as he slipped, it just was, you know, no chance of a catch. So like, I don't know, they didn't seem on the, on the same page necessarily. He did have a big third and five catch in traffic in the second half. Um, he briefly left for concussion protocol, but was back. Like it just doesn't seem like they can find Boyd over the middle. So when they do go his way, it's kind of from the slot, but breaking out. And Usually, if they're going to the sideline, T. Higgins or Jamar Chase is just a better option. So, I don't know. I can't quite figure out why they aren't hitting him over the middle. I don't know if it's just a preference of Burrow or what. But, yeah, he's just not a big part of the offense right now. That's kind of what I was going to volunteer as well. Boyd hasn't really been all that productive since the days of Andy Dalton. So, maybe that was just kind of a Dalton slot receiver type of preference. Uh, Moving into the running game, uh, there, there was... A lot made about the Bengals' backfield going into this week. Uh, Joe Mixon had sustained a concussion last week. Uh, he he was dancing in like a viral TikTok video this week, so pe- people thought that was a sign that he was okay and was going to play. D- did not end up happening. Samaje P. Ryan did take the lead. So t- tell us kind of your observation of him and the rest of the Bengals' backfield. Yeah, I mean, for one week, uh, they did not – look any worse because Joe Mixon was out. Uh, Samaje Piran looked really good. Um, he was good in the run game. He was good in the pass game. Uh, they threw him like an angle route out of the backfield, which I have not seen them do this year. Uh, for a nice reception, he, he fought for yards on the ground. He was just an all-around good player. They, they trust him on third downs. Like As long as Mixon is out, he's a borderline RB1. I mean, he's just with that volume, 17 carries, 58 yards and a touchdown, seven targets in the passing game. Like, you can't ask for too much more than that. So the Bengals don't run a ton, but when they do, he did what he needed to, and he was good in the passing game. So um, I will say Chris Evans, I know a lot of people have been hyped on him over the years, uh, pass catching back. Uh, he had an offensive pass interference early on, like I mentioned, and we didn't see much of him. Uh, Travion Williams outsnapped him 14-4 to for the backup role. So if you care about the backup behind uh, P. Ryan, uh, it was Travion Williams, and he actually had some really nice plays. So P. Ryan had a stranglehold, though, 56 snaps compared to 14-4. and four. So, um, yeah, as long as Mixon's out, keep playing P. Ryan. I doubt that he's earned a huge role. I mean, he's always played third down, so when Mixon's back, it probably goes back to that. And we're not going to be starting him, but um, he's certainly a good player anytime he's needed. I totally meant to sarcastically bring up Chris Evans on sit start last week, and I totally forgot. So I, I mean, probably for the best. Uh, yep. All right, let's move over to the Titans side. Uh, talk to me about Derrick Henry. Uh, there, there was one big play that remains in my mind that involved Derrick Henry, but other before we get to that one, just kind of generally, how did he look on the ground? Didn't have a very efficient day. 
No. I mean, the Bengals' run defense was awesome in this one. That was what won this game, a close game, and they held Derrick Henry to 17 carries for 38 yards. They were selling out to stop him. Uh, They were playing a lot of like three defensive tackle looks, which I don't believe they play very often. They were loading up. It allowed some big plays on play action and, you know, on the screen play we'll get to. But um, now it was hard to really even tell if Henry had it today because he just had no open space. Like he had a couple six, seven, eight yard runs where he looked like he got ahead of steam going, but that was it. It was, he was shut down consistently. The Bengals run defense looked awesome. And yeah, if they're going to play like that every week, uh, it's going to be tough sliding for opposing running backs. So I will also say, Henry, I haven't watched the most Titans games from start to finish this year. Uh, I was surprised how often he came off the field on second and third downs, uh, second down and long mainly. Um, But they kind of seemed to avoid even faking that they were going to run in some of these long situations and they'd spread things out. So yeah, I mean, he's going to have better days, but um, this was certainly not a, a classic Derrick Henry day by any means. And if not for the long uh, reception, this would have been a really bad game. Yeah, pretty one-dimensional Titans offense as usual. And that one dimension wasn't really firing on all cylinders today is what it sounds like. Uh, yeah. So let, let's talk about that screenplay, Eric. Uh, kind of take us through what happened and what the result was. Yeah, I mean, it was actually one we were going to mention up top. It was one of the plays of the game, uh, or plays of the day, I should say. It was a 69-yard reception from Derrick Henry. He broke free and got ahead of steam. And for the one play, it looked like, you know, prime Derrick Henry just barreling downfield. Uh, Bengals rookie corner, Cam Taylor Britt, uh, awesome hustle play. Caught him at the one-yard line, forced a fumble. Um, but then, Ryan, our hero, Traylon Burks. Came to the scene, recovered the fumble for a touchdown. Derrick Henry loses out on the touchdown. Traylon Burks on the scene, scores his first career touchdown. So exciting stuff to see. I was, as a Bengals fan, it they fell behind, I think, 10 to 3 on that play. It was very troublesome, but um, at least it was Traylon Burks who caught the or who recovered the touchdown. Yeah, I, I was tweeting out that Traylon Burks was showing some good hustle. Didn't didn't seem like the asthma was bothering him on that play. <laughs> he managed to get all the way down the field. Um, we we were really happy to see that. Uh, speaking of Burks and the other Titans receivers, uh, both him, Robert Woods and Nick Westbrook, Akine finished with six targets each, uh, Burks led the way with four receptions for 70 yards through the air, uh, kind of disentangled this for me, Eric, like just looking at the box score, it looks like all three of them have been used equally, but I'm sure that's not the case. What what is the lay of the land here with the Titans receivers? And can you give us any hints as to it, if Burks' role specifically, I think, is who we mostly care about, if that can sort of lead to him being really important in fantasy down the stretch? Yeah, I think this was really promising. Um, shout out again to Nathan Janke from uh, PFF here, but uh, he's got the snap breakdowns and, and Traylon Burks is pretty much even with Robert Woods and Nick Westbrook Akina. And I believe uh, he said that he played 100% of the third down snap, or I'm sorry, the three wide receiver snaps Traylon Burks did. So he's out there in the three wide receiver sets. He, he comes off a little bit in two wide sets, but they really made an effort to get Traylon Burks the ball early. I think he was targeted on the first two third downs they had. Uh, so when they needed a, a completion, they were going towards him. Uh, he had another big play that probably would have been a monster play, but Tannehill got hit as he threw and it was off target. And then, um, like you said, I mean, you, you joke about it, but the touchdown that he recovered on the um, the Derrick Henry screen, like I think that probably went a long way with Vrabel. I mean, he was hustling down the field on a long, a long screen where he really did not need to be down there. Um, that had to have 
helped him in the locker room. So that was a positive. And then he outmuscled Cam Taylor Britt, the rookie corner, on a jump ball for a 50-yard reception where he just kind of, you know, mossed him in the middle of the field. Like he he every time they gave him the ball, he looked good and he came through. So I know the targets are pretty spread around here. Um, some of it's just Tannehill. He's still kind of limping around. He looks like he has an ankle injury, but uh, he's still playing through it. But uh, some of it's just the offense. But, I mean, Burks was the best receiver that I saw out there by far. Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, we've heard this story in Tennessee before, unfortunately. Uh, the best receiver yeah. on the team, on the field, everyone can see by far. Uh, I, he's shaping up well to be traded to the Eagles <laughs> a few years from now, is is what it sounds like, with, before not showing any real fantasy utility. Uh, hope, yeah. yeah, just kidding. Hope, hopefully that it works out better than that, but that I, I'm a bit of a pessimist on this Titans offense in general. Yeah. And I mean, I think he showed a relatively complete game in this one. It wasn't like he just had one type of play they were going to him for. So I, he looks really good to me. I know I'm biased, but uh, Traylon Burks looks good. So otherwise on this receiving core, like Robert Woods couldn't shake Eli Apple a few times on some targets. That's not a great sign. Um, he did get an end zone target that was broken up by Apple. Uh, Westbrook Akina like always looks fine when he gets the ball. He's kind of like the guy down the middle of the field on their play actions. And then um, they have a tight end Okonkwo, who I know always pops up in my rankings when I'm setting them each week because he catches deep plays almost every week. Um, he's like their backup tight end. And he had three for 35 on five targets today. He looks pretty good. Like I know this is deeper than most redraft leagues, but like I think Okonkwo and Burks looked pretty good here. Um uh, Westbrook Ekin, however you say his name, is is pretty solid as a third option. They just Tannehill's limping. He, he's he's good on like big shots downfield, but like if the running game's there, it's just not a complete offense, and it's just not really that scary. So I have mixed feelings with Tannehill. I don't think they should just abandon him and move on, but this is probably capping out here with him under center. Yeah, he, he's like the exact type of quarterback where um, I would if you have that guy on a rookie deal, great. If you don't, then what kind of what are you doing? Go go get someone on a rookie deal is how I look at it. But that, yeah, yeah. that's probably neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen much out of Willis this year, so I don't think they've got their solution in-house. So they're going to have to make a move. But it does seem like the kind of team that could recruit a real quarterback, like a veteran, if it becomes available. It's I would assume most players want to play in Tennessee. That Vrabel's got a good thing going there. This was a really hard-fought game. Like, this was – this was like a playoff game. And, um, you know, I know I'm coming from the Bengals perspective here a little bit, but the Titans looked like a good team. And if they hadn't got completely shut down the running game, they, they might've been able to win this game. So um, good. I'd be pretty confident in that team going forward. If you have Derrick Henry or uh Traylon Burks, Aaron Rodgers to Tennessee is what I'm hearing. That sounds, <laughs> sounds great and exciting. Can't wait for that this off season. Uh, all right. Any, anything else on this game, Eric, or are we ready to move on? No, I think that's pretty much it. Got the Chiefs next week for the Bengals. So uh, their stretch of playoff teams continues. And um, I still think that the Bengals defense has not had an offense to challenge them with uh, Chidobe Awuzie out. So I think we might see some fireworks against the Chiefs next week, both sides of the ball. Awesome. Well, moving on to the next game, uh, we had one I'm told was pretty exciting at the end here. I caught zero of this game. You guys were talking about it uh, before we started recording, but the Ravens fall to the Jaguars uh, 28 to 27 after Justin Tucker misses a 67 yard field goal with time expiring. Uh, It looked like it was at least five yards short to me. That was all I saw of this game was the field goal replay on social media afterwards. Uh, 
I didn't think it was that close, but pe- people were talking like they, it was unbelievable to them that Justin Tucker would not make a 67 yard field goal. Like we, the bar we've set for this poor guy is so high. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, it really looked like it was going to go through. Uh, I was completely online, but just short of the goalposts. And I, I mean, I think one of the big reasons we're so spoiled when it comes to Justin Tucker, this just ended a streak of 65 consecutive field goals for Justin Tucker, which is the longest in NFL history. So um, we've been really spoiled there. Just felt like he couldn't miss. And so sure, 67 yards. Well, why wouldn't he? Yeah. So I was reminded of a fun thought experiment when this happened, because it's been so long, as you said, since Justin Tucker has missed a kick. How many kicks in a row do you think Justin Tucker would have to miss for him to lose his job? Like, it, is is this is and is it more than 10? Like, it, I, I don't even know where to, do. Do we have any guesses, Eric? What do you think? Consecutive field goals missed to lose his job. This happens to they'd, most kickers if you miss like three in a row, by the way. Yeah, they, they'd fake an injury at some point. But uh, yeah, it's like uh, I set the over under like eight, maybe. Yeah, that sounds about right. I I could. Yeah, I don't know what I, I don't know if uh, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, Justin, or or on the rest of the game where we can move it. We can move into the actual action. Um, yeah, I think I'd probably put it closer to 10. I mean, he's going to go down in history as one of the best uh, kickers in of all time in the NFL. So um, I, I can see him going on like a run of like 10 missed field goals and still keeping the job. Uh, I mean, getting rid of Justin Tucker in Baltimore would not be a very popular move for the Ravens. That's true too. Yeah. You got, you got to think about the fan base reaction as well. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think you guys might be undershooting it. I think it might be more like 15 and like they would have to lose games, like multiple games because of it. But I, I don't know. Uh, let, let's move into the actual action of this game and stop talking about kickers. Um, so the, I mean, the first thing that I had a question about Justin is the Jaguars backfield. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the day, I had a panicked moment when I saw that Etienne had gone down. So what happened in this backfield afterwards and what kind of lessons can we take going forward? Maybe about Etienne's handcuff, if there is one. Yeah, I, I was quite panicked myself. I have uh, quite a few shares of Travis Etienne out there. So um, it was really concerning. Um, he only had two carries in this game for three yards before leaving with a foot injury, uh, as we mentioned earlier. And it was a little interesting. He was apparently active in the second half of the game. Uh, they kept saying he's probable to return. He'll be back on the field, but we just kind of saw him sitting on the sidelines with his helmet in his hands. So um, don't really know what's going on there. Hopefully it's nothing too serious. Um, but Jamichael Hasty had an absolute breakout game today, um, shouldered the bulk of the workload um, in Jacksonville um, and really got himself involved as a pass catcher as well. Um, caught receiving touchdown uh, and had just an absolute monster catch um, in the second quarter um, where he's just completely left wide open. Trevor Lawrence just baits the defense uh, like he's throwing downfield. And uh, Jamichael Hasty just makes a quick turn, catches the ball, and uh, almost ran right into the end zone for his second receiving touchdown of the day. Yeah, he was he was looking really good um, as the backup in this one. Snoop Connor. Only saw three carries. All of them came in the third quarter. Um, his only NFL touches of the season. 
Um, so if a Chen does go down, this is something to keep an eye on, but I, I think it's probably Jamaica Hasty getting the most of the work. Um, and then the other interesting note I'd add would be uh, Darrell Henderson Jr. was just claimed off of waivers from the Los Angeles Rams this week. Um, did not play in this one at all, um, but was not on the Jags injury reports anywhere uh, with the knee injury that took him out of week 11. So hopefully this is just a case of him having a chance to learn the playbook and get acclimated to the Jaguars offense. Yeah, Henderson was a healthy scratch. Uh, it, that that was the reporting I saw was that it was just we need to give him a week to learn the playbook like he just got in the building on Wednesday type of deal. So yeah, may, maybe unclear whether it's Hasty or Henderson that we would want behind ETN. Uh, so moving into may, maybe the actual more interesting story of the game, just from, from like a real NFL perspective, uh, the the people are talking about Trevor Lawrence and saying that he he's finally arrived and that, that this is what he's been capable of and he's finally uh, living up to his potential. Uh, he had 37 attempts, 29 completions for 321 yards and three touchdowns. Justin, what did you see out of Trevor Lawrence? Did it seem like he was... Did, did it seem like there was a change from maybe what you've seen of him earlier in the season or were things just kind of all clicking into place for the Jaguars offense in general? Yeah, I really think uh, this is just a case of things really starting to click uh, in Jacksonville uh, with Doug Peterson in there now. Obviously a huge upgrade over the Urban Meyer experiment last year in Jacksonville. Um, there were still a couple of miscues. Um, Trevor Lawrence was sacked on the very first play of the game. He had a, a couple shaky throws, tried to go uh, deep to Christian Kirk. It was nearly picked off, uh, had a fumble in the third quarter, um, actually leads the NFL in fumbles right now. But other than a couple of mistakes, he looked just really sharp out there, and he just seemed to get better with every single quarter. Didn't really touch the ball much in the first quarter, um, but then in the second quarter, Jacksonville offense just really got going. Kept it really simple uh, with Travis Etienne going down with an injury. Uh, just run the football with Jamichael Hasty. Uh, for most of the game, it was just hit Zay Jones on a curl, repeat, uh, mixing a bit of pass pass catching work for Jamichael Hasty and uh, Christian Kirk, who was relatively quiet today, but uh, left the game with an injury himself uh, in the fourth quarter too. So that could definitely have contributed to things. Um, but Lawrence just he just kept looking better as the game went on. Uh, Fourth quarter, uh, down by a touchdown, um, just has a, a two-minute drive and is just everything you'd want out of a quarterback in that kind of situation. Um, just keeps moving the sticks. Um, big throw after big throw. Um, Zay Jones was, like I said, his, was his guy this in this one. Um, threw a 29-yard pass uh, in the fourth quarter to Zay Jones. That was a um, really beautiful catch worth looking at on Twitter. Um, and just very quickly found himself, uh, inside the red zone and, uh, Jacksonville decided to go for two and won them the game. Trevor Lawrence just, he, I, I think he's really starting to mature. I, I think what a lot of people forget is obviously last year was a bit of a disaster with Urban Meyer and pass catching situation got better this year with Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram coming in. Um, but Trevor Lawrence was also a rookie last year. And as good as he was back in college at uh, Clemson, quarterbacks do take some time to get acclimated to the NFL. Um, football is 
not an easy game to just kind of pick up and learn uh, on the fly. So I think maybe more so than a normal rookie with Trevor Lawrence because of how dominant he was in college, we all kind of just expected him to come in and do the Patrick Mahomes thing right away. Um, but I think this year he's really starting to show some maturity. Uh, Doug Peterson uh, really is uh, just kind of playing to his strengths and helping bring out the best of his quarterback. So uh, definitely should be something to keep an eye on the rest of the season and going into next year. Yeah. And I, I mainly caught the end of this after the Bengals game ended, but man, that two point conversion, like I know it's just like a two yard out route, but he ripped that throw. Like that was a laser. And that was kind of what I noticed towards the end. He still has these throws to the sideline or short that he kind of will airmail out of nowhere. And you're like, man, he, he needs to make that throw. And then he'll rip off like three or four in a row, just awesome throws. So overall, like this Ravens defense has been starting to come into shape here. And the fact that I mean, I think Jacksonville has been pretty run heavy. Like they've been kind of a run based team at times with ETN looking good. And the fact that against Baltimore, where you can't run the ball with ETN out, that he went 29 to 37, like that's awfully encouraging. So like you said, he still fumbles too much. He was sacked four times. It's not perfect here. And it is the Jaguars you know, they could have faked us out here for a week, but um, it's, I think it's really happening here with Lawrence just from the quarter plus that I caught. He was really impressive. Yeah, my only contribution is that Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson truly are the two ships passing in the night. Uh, and I say that because last year, if you looked at their advanced stats, they were basically were only accompanied by each other in terms of how bad they were in their rookie seasons. Like we, we tried to reach for all sorts of different examples of great quarterbacks being bad in their rookie years. Peyton Manning, whatever, like th this was the discourse all off season of why Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson could still be good. It, very interesting to me that the, the vibes now are so different on each of them with one showing absolutely no like leadership, or, not, not that I'm going to like give Zach Wilson a, a, a bunch of grief for that, but, and Trevor Lawrence just kind of becoming a, a darling now, uh, of, at least of the media, it's, it seems like they've they've all remembered how much they love Trevor Lawrence over the last couple of years. So, yeah, it's quite interesting. Uh, I you did mention Justin Zay Jones, uh, who did have 14 targets in this one, caught 11 of them for 145 yards. The oppo regression did finally come for him. I had personally definitely given up. Uh, but shout out to Callan and Mario on the waiver wire pod because they, they were on this one as recently as this week. Uh, any specific takes on Zay Jones, Justin, and maybe also on Christian Kirk, who did did not benefit as much from this? Um, yeah, like you said, um, Kalen and uh, Mario, I've uh, been talking about him for a couple of weeks. Uh, was a guy that I just kind of brushed off and then watched the game today. And it's like, holy smokes, he's just... Uh, the guy for Trevor Lawrence uh, in this game, um, seven of those 11 catches that you mentioned were for a first down, um, including four in a row between the second and fourth quarters. Um, and he just was all over the place, just uh, making patch making catches and double coverage, um, getting separation and uh, really just had maybe only one out of sync moment with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, late in the fourth quarter where uh, Lawrence threw a pass behind Zay Jones. Um, and I mean, with four targets, I, I think just about any wide receiver in the league is probably going to have 
some mistakes. Um, like I said, he had the best catch of the day on the Jacksonville side of the ball uh, late in the fourth quarter to uh, keep the sticks moving and help set up that game-winning touchdown and then the two-point conversion. And then Christian Kirk. Um, Christian Kirk was a lot. He was very quiet today. Ravens secondary, specifically Marlon Humphrey, was just all over him. Um, so he didn't really, he really kind of saw the impact of Marlon Humphrey as he uh, left with an injury in the fourth quarter. Um, actually, on the exact same play that Christian Kirk got injured on. Um, but then Christian Kirk came back into the game and just really took advantage of the injury to Marlon Humphrey. Um, had a big catch on the uh, game-winning drive on third and 21. Uh, nice first read by Trevor Lawrence over the middle um, right after the fumble too. So really, really good to see him just kind of uh, Trevor Lawrence calm down on the field and, you know, stay calm in the pocket and just rebound from that mistake. Uh, I mean, 30-21 inside the two-minute warning, it's not an easy uh, game script to just bounce back like that. Um, and then he had another big catch uh, for a first down later in that drive too. So um it was quiet for most of the day, um, but I, I think that was really just a product of the Baltimore Ravens secondary. And I mean, we saw the impact once Marlon Humphrey went out. Uh, I wouldn't really be worried about Christian Kirk long term. Um, Zay Jones having such a big day as well really took some of that volume away from Christian Kirk too. So um, I, I'm sure he'll be back to his usual self next week. Yeah, it sounds like we should just breathe and be happy that it seems like this offense is clicking and going forward. That can only mean decent things. Um, moving over to the other side of the ball with the Ravens. Uh, the, so Lamar Jackson was getting some criticism on social media uh, after the game today. Uh, he, he made it a point to specifically respond to one of them. I, I don't know if I can even read the things he said on this podcast, but it I know that's way too vague, but if, if you're interested, go go see what Lamar Jackson's uh, mentions look like right now. It's quite it's quite entertaining. Uh, but on the field, uh, he <laughs> managed to complete 16 of his 32 passes for 254 passing yards and a touchdown. Added 14 carries for 89 on the ground, which is nice. That's what you're hoping for. Uh, what, what did you think of Lamar today, Justin? And it, I mean, is the criticism warranted? Um, I think to some degree. Uh, today was definitely a, a breakout day for the Jacksonville defense. Um, we saw um, Aluakun, Trayvon Walker, uh, Josh Allen, um, Rayshon Jenkins, a lot of guys stepping up on that defense and really getting things going for the first time this season. Um, so that definitely didn't make it easy on Lamar Jackson, but uh, I mean, like you said, 16 out of 32, uh, only a 50% completion rate. Um, this was not a very good game for Lamar Jackson. Uh, still ran the ball pretty well, as you'd expect him to. Um, uh, he did have a fumble, um, but it uh, would have been a turn on de- turnover on downs either way. So um, that one didn't really affect the game too much. And then the other big thing with Lamar Jackson, I think, to note is uh, he crossed the 700 rushing yard threshold today. So uh, he's today became in the midst of all this, a very bad game for Lamar Jackson. He still became the first quarterback in NFL history to have four different 700 plus yard rushing seasons. Um, So I I think all in all, this is kind of very much par for the course from what we've come to expect with Lamar Jackson. There's going to be some struggles in the passing game. 
um, especially with some of the injuries to this receiving core that I'll talk about later. Um, but he, he's still running the ball pretty well. Um, I, I really think this was kind of just a case of uh, the Jaguars defense stepping up and having a good game and really surprising a lot of people, especially against one of the league's top quarterbacks. Um, I mean, Lamar Jackson in the fourth quarter absolutely uncorked it to uh, Deshaun Jackson for a 62-yard bomb, just waited patiently in the pocket, uh, let Jackson get out. Um, really, Deshaun Jackson really showed some uh, surprising speed for a 35-year-old NFL veteran. This is just, like I said, it's very par for the course from what we've come to expect for Lamar Jackson. So I, I think he, he'll probably be fine the rest of the season. Um, I have had some concerns about this Ravens offense this season. They don't really have a ton of pieces beyond uh, Mark Andrews, but they, they still seem to be getting it done. Uh, I mean, they're tied with the Cincinnati Bengals right now for uh, the division title in the AFC North. So uh, clearly they are doing some things right. Yeah. Uh, before we get into that receiver core, let's touch on the backfield really quickly. Uh, and I say quickly because I'm <laughs> sick and tired of talking about the Ravens backfield in general. Uh, but Gus Edwards kind of had a takeover game, maybe. Uh, 16 carries, 52 yards, and a touchdown. Whereas Justice Hill and Kenyon Drake combined for only three carries. Was there, was there anything that you saw, Justin, that contradicts or adds context to what I just said? Or is is that just kind of the story that we're back to Gus Edwards dominating? Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much it. Um, I, I mean, he took over the backfield, um, but he only saw 3.25 yards per catch. Uh, he did have a touchdown on this one, but it, I mean, this is, this is a Lamar Jackson led uh, offense. So there's really not going to be a lot uh, coming out of this backfield. Kenyon Drake, uh, really not much of a thing unless your league somehow counts play fakes. Um, and then uh, Justice Hill, Patrick Ricard. There's there's really not much to say about this Baltimore, Baltimore Ravens backfield. Um, Hill and Drake combined for only three carries. So, yeah, this is, uh, like I said, this is the Baltimore Ravens. We know Lamar Jackson's going to be the guy running the ball. And he, he really just kind of relied much more on the passing game in this one than his backfield to get it done. Uh, no, really, no big passes caught out of the backfield in this one. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at the snaps, it's it's 36 for Edwards, 18 for Drake, and 14 for Hill. And Edwards had a pretty big fumble in this game that kind of set things up for the Jaguars to win it. So, yeah, I think I'm on board with Ryan. It's not a lot of excitement here. I mean, 16 carries for 52 yards out of Gus, and you get a touchdown, that's great. That's probably what we're looking for is like a ceiling moving forward, I would say. I'm I'm right with you, Ryan. I'm, I'm tired of this Ravens backfield. I'd I would really like to see this Ravens team with a good running back. It's It's been a while, and it's kind of frustrating to see at times. Yeah. Well, speaking of things we're tired of, let's talk about the the, the players catching passes for the Ravens right now. Uh, Mark Andrews did get his seven targets, c- catching four of them for 50 yards, uh, but somebody named Josh Oliver was also heavily involved, Justin. So wh- why don't you take us through all the pass catchers here? Yeah, uh, Josh Oliver was really the big story of the day uh, for the pass catching game for the Ravens. Mark Andrews was surprisingly swallowed up by the Jacksonville secondary for a lot of this game. Um, he had a fumble early in the first quarter and a bunch of incompletions, a um, couple in the red zone. Um, just a very un unusual game for Mark Andrews. Um, wasn't his usual dominant self. Still managed to uh, turn it into um, four receptions on seven targets for 50 yards. Um, but 
was actually outpaced by uh, Josh Oliver, who saw four receptions for six targets, 76 yards, and a touchdown uh, in this game, and just really looked good in this one. Um, it's kind of kind of like the Josh Oliver revenge game, uh, coming back to Jacksonville. He's a former Jaguar. Um, and, he, I mean, he almost had three touchdowns in this one. Um, it was an incompletion uh, in the end zone that was kind of just – out of his hands uh, early in the game. Um, and then he caught a pass late in the game that he almost walked right in uh, to the end zone for another touchdown. Uh, was just kind of stopped by uh, Rashawn Jenkins in coverage. So um, Josh Oliver with Isaiah likely out this week uh, with an ankle injury was kind of the real big story out of this uh, receiving room. And uh, I mean, then beyond it, you've got, um, Devin Duvernay and Demarcus Robinson, who didn't really amount to much in this one. Uh, Devin Duvernay had his first drop of the season. Um, still looked pretty solid, um, but overall didn't really have much of an impact on this one. Um, Deshaun Jackson obviously caught the big pass of the day for uh, the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, went two for three with uh, 74 yards, including the big uh, 62-yard play that sort of got Baltimore back in it briefly uh, in the fourth quarter. And uh, I think the only other thing to note would be uh, James Proch actually did have uh, a very nice uh, 23-yard catch that was unfortunately called back in an offensive holding penalty. Um, So if we continue to see uh, all these injuries out of the receiving core for uh, Baltimore, obviously they're not throwing a lot of passes to the backfield right now. Uh, James Proch could be something interesting to keep an eye on. All right. I mean, I I think my takeaway from this is that uh, apparently there is a tight end two role in Baltimore that's just vacated by Isaiah Likely, apparently. Uh, And I mean, I I really wish Rashad Bateman was healthy. That's kind of all I can think. And I I don't know what fantasy utility we're going to get out of this. Like, Eric, do you think Deshaun Jackson's a thing still? (laughs) Like, if either of you have any takes, go for it. Now nah, I've been fading Deshaun Jackson for what feels like 10 years now. So I'm going to continue with that. Um, now my only other take was that Devin Duvernay had a pretty costly play on a, a kick return that he returned to like the five yard line late. I don't know what he was doing there, but um, no, nah, I, I think Duvernay is always going to be, they're going to give him end rounds and stuff. That's kind of his role to Marcus Robinson working through injury. There's just not much there at receiver. So yeah, I agree with you. It's without Rashad Bateman. It's hard to get very excited here. Well, I think that about does it for this game. So I I don't know if you had any quick questions. We've got a few minutes left, Eric, about the game that I watched. Yeah, so um, yeah, we're already an hour into this. Um, This Tampa Bay-Cleveland game uh, took a long time. I went almost the full course of overtime, so Ryan stuck it out. But let's just get the cliff notes here, Ryan. Like uh, Cleveland wins 23-17. to This is another disappointing loss from Tampa Bay against an AFC North team. They lost to the Steelers, too, I believe. So um, what are the brief takeaways here we need to know from this game? That was probably pretty boring to watch for almost four hours. Yeah, I wouldn't say either team did a whole lot to deserve the victory here. Like the the Browns just kind of handed it to Nick Chubb 26 times and it worked eventually like that. That was all there really is to say about this Browns offense. Uh, Amari Cooper had one nice play on a busted coverage where Carlton Davis just completely got his ankles broken, fell down, tries to grab for Cooper and just falls down again. And then, of course, Cooper is 
wide open to take it 45 yards to the goal line to set up the Nick Chubb winning score. Uh, other than that, on the Buck side, I, what people will want to know about is Rashad White. Did he look good? He looked fine. He didn't look incredible. The important thing about Rashad White, though, is he ran 35 routes to Keyshawn Vaughn's one. Gio Bernard was not at all involved in this. So Rashad White is just running all the routes out of the backfield. That resulted in nine targets, which he caught all nine of. If this is the role we see for him going forward, it almost doesn't matter how well he plays. Like this is just a PPR league winner scam type of player. Um, he he's just gonna keep getting those Tom Brady checkdowns, and it's working out for him. But that that's pretty much all I have to say. Yeah, I've been trying to bring that up recently with the Fournette White discussion. Like, I mean, the fact that White rushed fourteen times for sixty four yards. Uh, 35 of it on one long against this horrible Browns rush defense is kind of concerning. And I think the only role we really want in this Tampa Bay backfield is the pass catching work. Obviously, if they're going to score a touchdown, that's great. But if they can't run the ball against Cleveland, that's a bad sign because that, that run defense has been horrible. So I don't know that I would expect breakout season Rashad White on the ground, but you're right. Uh, nine targets, nine catches. That's all we really care about here. So um, yeah, Rashad White stock looks up, um, but it sounds like Ryan, nothing really happened here that is going to steal this job away from Leonard Fournette when he's healthy. Uh, I really don't know because I I don't yeah. feel like the coaching staff has been all that excited about Fournette either. It's it's not like he's given them a whole lot to get excited about. So I could yeah. see White holding on to most of this job, but it yeah, it's really hard to say when he's healthy. I mean, the worst case scenario is that it's a split and neither of them are like leading the league in backfield routes, which is kind of what needs to happen for this offense to have a productive fantasy running back. So that I, we're going to find out going forward, I guess. Um, sorry. Yeah. Chris Godwin. Awesome day. I'm happy with that. Mike Evans, bad day. It's still had nine targets though, but only two for 31. Like anything you saw there with Evans or just did Godwin just get most of the work here? I, Evans almost caught a touchdown in the first half that would have been really nice, but yeah, a lot of those targets were kind of prayer yards. Th- this was really weird. Th- this was the first time I'd like sat down and tried to diagnose what is wrong with this Tom Brady offense as somebody that's watched a lot of Tom Brady over the years. Uh, it reminds me of some of those like 2018, 2019 Patriots teams where there was literally just nobody to throw to that could get separation, but he's throwing to two of the best receivers in the league. So that that's kind of weird. He, Brady's like throwing into tight coverages, which is something I almost never see him do. He'd usually rather just throw it away or ch- check down to Rashad White, which was happening a fair amount. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I just don't have the football knowledge to understand what is going wrong with this offense just by watching it. But it, it's just so inefficient. Anytime they try to run the ball, forget about it. Like they should not be doing that. that that's not the solution either. But even in the passing game, yeah, just a a lot of incompletions when they should be converting on third downs. It's just, yeah, it's just tough to say it's one thing. So I I guess I'm not as convinced as I was before that this was going to turn around. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a lack of deep passing maybe on the surface. Uh, You know, only three receivers had a 
reception over 10 yards in this one. Uh, Evans had one and Jones had one and Godwin had one, you know, in the twenties, but I don't know, maybe it's just a lack of explosion and that's kind of putting a lot of pressure on the short stuff. So yeah, I mean, we're in, we're in week 12 here, so we probably should not be expecting this Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense to just spring to life here. So I I think this kind of is what it is for now. So uh, I don't know anything else, Ryan, before we get out of here. Not really. I'll I'll just say that it was Evans being targeted deep down the field. And yeah, those obviously were not working, whereas it was Julio actually kind of getting a lot of the short slants, which is a, a little bit weird to see from him. But yeah, that that's sort of how the usage broke down. And yeah, I mean, there there can very easily be like a boom game from Evans, like there the oppo and air yards regression i'm sure is gonna be flagging him as a huge candidate these next few weeks but i i don't know it's it's just it's just really tough and hard like kind of sad to watch the like the tom brady buccaneers kind of going out with the whimper as the playoffs are approaching yeah they're doing everything they can to lose this division. They may still win it, though. So, And then as far as the Browns go, I believe Deshaun Watson is back next week. So anything we think about them will be different starting next week. So we will uh, get back into that on the Sit Start podcast, I'm sure. So otherwise, yeah, I mean, this is a long one, but I think it's worth it. This was a fun week. Lots of wild stuff happening. It's just it's one of those weeks where it's like only the NFL can produce some of these storylines. So uh, someone who tried to watch a couple USA World Cup games, I will take the NFL any day of the week. Um, yeah, no ties for the most part. That's, that's exciting for me. So otherwise, um, thanks for joining me, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us, Justin. I'm Ryan. I'll have you back on on the Sit Start podcast. But otherwise, everyone, check out uh, the What We Saw article on the website. Um, we'll have waiver Wire coming out as usual. And best of luck in the rest of your week. 